So sometimes taking the advice of those around you actually can lead you more to your own true self if you take that and and analyze it in an honest way, if that makes sense. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen. It's about That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. Welcome to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor. And my name is Jay Kirkpatrick. And today we're talking with a very special guest, someone who's been under the bright lights since the age of 10. I don't know. Jay, what were you doing at the age of 10? I was playing Bulls versus Blazers at my buddy's house (laughs) (laughs) on Sega Genesis. (laughs) There you go. I was probably also, yeah, riding a bike with training wheels. I don't know. What do 10-year-olds do? I don't know. Anyway. The reason I bring up what you were doing at 10 is because today's guest, Sierra Hull, was playing the Grand Ole Opry at that point. It just seems strange that someone could be playing country music's most sacred stage at such a young age. What's even crazier is that when I was talking to her, which you'll hear in just a second, she says she's actually lost count at the age of 25 how many times she's played the Opry. On top of all that, there are awards and album releases and whatnot. But what's really striking to me is that no matter what she's achieved, she says she still feels the same level of resistance as she ever has. What I thought would be so unrelatable, talking to someone who's achieved fame from when they were like playing the biggest stages and you and I were just playing in the neighborhood, she still wrestles with the same stuff that we all do. I think it's so interesting to hear her because she has been playing, what is it, since 10, she's 25, she's... I mean, if Alison Krauss called me, oh my, I mean, that's, I mean, that's her first big, big thing was one of my favorite bluegrass and all time. And the dangers of, of maybe getting too big for your britches, if you want to put it in Sierra Hall terms. And she seems so grounded and she still, she talks about having to battle with maybe I, I would say her ego, realizing she has stuff to learn and that, and, and when you're at that level, I think that might be your Sometimes your biggest battles against your own ego, and I think she 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 talked about that, and it feels like she's learned tons and um, yeah. and is growing even as she's probably done more than most who are twice her age. Yeah, she's she's really she's postured herself very well, and I found myself learning a lot from the way that she positions herself toward the world um, to be excellent at her craft and yet be humble at the same time. You can hear all this and more in our conversation today with the award-winning and wonderful person, Sierra Hall. I want to begin where we begin each of our episodes, and that is by reading just the opening lines from Stephen Pressfield's work, The War of Art, which I already know that you you said you're already familiar with, um, so this should be familiar terrain. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about the book for years and, and had, you know, read quotes and stuff, but finally read the book myself last year and really loved it. Here we go. Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. 
Sierra on the on the verge of another album release and just where you're at in your career. I'm just curious what form resistance takes for you now after 25 trips around the sun um, <laughs> and, and, and sort of uh, yeah, like, like what those battles resemble today. Yeah. Well, finally being done with this record, you know, definitely feels like I'm on the other side of it, but I certainly was going through a lot of hurdles just trying to, to finish this record. I mean, um, you know, as a, a touring musician, I spend, you know, probably two thirds of the year traveling and I'm, I'm gone. And so trying to actually finish something, um, in a reasonable amount of time can be difficult, you know, um, just with how crazy the schedule gets and stuff. So I, I started working on this record in December of 2018. And, um, I, I was working with, Shawnee Gandhi, who's an amazing engineer, um, here in Nashville as co-producer with myself and, and, uh, doing this record. And we, we just had a great time working on it, but I kind of went into the project, um, without really thinking too much beyond just making an album I wanted to make. I was trying not to worry too much about, you know, what anybody else would think about it. So then I, we turned in the record to the, to the record label in April. Uh, I think it was. And basically the feedback we got was not the most exciting feedback. It wasn't really what we were hoping to hear. They, they liked the record, but they felt like, um, I think to quote, to quote them, they said it was an art <laughs> record. <laughs> it was an art record. And so, hmm. you know, at the time that was definitely a bummer to hear, you know, because it's like, we've worked so hard on this thing and we're proud of this thing and and we turn it in. And, and so, um, it was either like, you know, we could go ahead and just put it out um, or maybe go back to the drawing board. And so, you know, I was like, OK, well, they wanted to give me additional budget to go in and record a few more things. So um, so I started kind of thinking about that. And, you know, I love recording the opportunity to go back in and record even more. That part didn't bum me out at all because I thought, well, that's great. You know, that gives us just even more opportunity to, to record some stuff. So it really made me have to get down to business and and. um I wrote some more songs, you know, because I, I wanted to make sure that whatever we added to it still didn't feel like we were changing the record in any way just to conform to what a record label wants it to be. Because that's not really me as an artist to do that. Um, but instead, it was a good opportunity for me to kind of go, all right, maybe this record is a little one dimensional in some ways. And there's opportunity to, you know, add more of myself. So like we went in, I, I wrote an instrumental, I recorded a few more things that sort of lent themselves to my um, more acoustic bluegrass roots, because this is not a bluegrass record I made by, by any means. Um, oh, and so, you know, just like I, I did some stripped down um, guitar vocal things. So all that, you know, though it was a frustrating process to have to kind of be delayed in having the record come out and taking us till, you know, basically November of the same year to actually, you know, finish a product and, and you know, have a real complete record. Um, I, I think in hindsight, the record's much better for having done that. Um, so I'm really excited about the way it turned out, but it was definitely, yeah, it was definitely a little bit of a emotional bump to have to get over and kind of go, okay, you know, this is how the stuff goes sometimes. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna put in the work and put in the time to write and, 
to, you know, make sure this is something that we all can be excited about, you know, including myself, you know, because I, I have to make sure that I like what I'm doing <laughs> as much as yeah. anybody. So, yeah. Uh, Sierra, can you take me back to April? So you, you, you work hard um, on an album, you turn it in, you clearly believe in it. It's, it's from you and, and, and ex- a, like a true expression of what you want to put out in the world. When they say it's an art record and clearly are like not enamored or, or not like, at least in terms of the marketplace they're you know, they have some doubts, whatever it was there. Um, like, ha- like, like the, the response for you there, how do you move through that? Like, how do you know whether like not to take your ball and bat and go home? How do you, I mean, like, like how do you know how much to give there versus hold true to what you initially came in with? Yeah. I had to do some serious soul searching and, and say, well, you know, how much do I agree with what they're saying or how much do I feel like, you know, I should stand up and say, nope, this is what I did and you should put it out. But, you know, it's not really, um, it's not really in my nature to just think I'm right, no matter what, (laughs) um, you know, so it's like, I can always pause and, and look for, you know, ultimately I think I'm, I'm pretty good about remaining true to myself. And if there's something that I feel like, um, you know, no, I can't do what this person person is saying I need to do because I, you know, believe this is my path or this is what I'm supposed to do. I can always choose that. I can always choose what I think I need to choose, you know, but I'm also not so stubborn that I can't go, hmm, well, maybe I missed something here. Maybe, maybe they're right about what a complete record looks like, you know? Hmm. And so the main thing I was hearing from them was that, um, they they really thought uh by an art record that it was they they thought it was a great record but that it was a challenging listen for anyone that might not already know my music okay so musically they thought that it was dense and um though i you know i still go okay i don't think it was like that crazy it's not like i handed them a <laughs> you know uh 45 minute symphony or anything like that. But, (laughs) but I do understand like maybe for the average listener, there was, you know, um, some things that might, you know, as a whole be hard to take without some other things scattered in. So Hmm. with that in mind, um, I went, okay, well I love there's, you know, I, I already had a lot of other music that I had written that I'd hoped I would get to record at some point. This happened to be the, the, the tracks that we chose to record but by all means, that's not the only thing I care about or love, you know? So, mm. so I definitely felt open to the idea of being able to go back in and, and rework some things and, and, um, you know, add to what we already had. Plus it was a fairly short record. I think the record was like 30, 32 minutes or something like that. So it was 11 tracks, but a fairly short record. So there was room to add add to what we already had. So we really didn't even have to do away with much of what we had originally. We just added more, if that makes sense, to kind of broaden the scope of the record. So it it ended up being a really great opportunity to, you know, have more time to work on it and be able to kind of, you know, take a step back from, you know, myself as a listener and consider what someone else 
um, might hear when they listen to something. Because I think sometimes as the composer of music or or the, the person that's actually creating the music, you can hear it from a different place than, say, someone who has no perspective um, on the music might. Yeah. So I think it's important sometimes to zoom out a little. And perhaps we had zoomed in a little too much. <laughs> so... I- I find that pretty rare um, because I feel like most, you know, most artists I talk to, I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously your baby, so to speak, you know, it's, it's, it's this vulnerable, fragile thing that you created, you believe in, it takes, um, you know, a a certain level of courage to then put that out and then to have, um, I, I guess, I guess generally the conversations I have with artists include pretty they're pretty disdainful about the industry that there's just you know like like they have like roll their eyes at the commerce part of all this but you're talking it's it's frustrating (laughs) okay okay so how yeah i i guess i just wonder for you how you maintain you know because you seem pretty positive about the commerce angle here but then you just said that's frustrating so like how do you navigate that and and has your attitude changed over time Um, I've never really made music from a commerce standpoint, like really in thinking about that, that has to come first, because I think, you know, it can be such a destroyer of creativity to, to lean too heavily on that, um, that thought, you know, is, is this going to sell? Is this going to be something? And furthermore, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a mandolin player, singer, songwriter. I'm I'm not trying to be a, a pop star, you know, where I should have probably <laughs> been, you know, playing a different style of music <laughs> from the get-go. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I still find that it's, you know, it's important for me to to try to not ignore it, but, you know, because I, I am, you know, I, I am a little bit split brain in that, you know, I care about the business side of stuff. I think that that's important if you're going to have a, successful career i do want to be able to reach as many people as possible but but at the end of the day it can't be at the sacrifice of making good music that i believe in um so i think that you have to still be able to kind of keep an eye on all that while at the same time going is what i'm doing honest and authentic to myself as an artist and if it's not then you know you have problem there um And I don't think people who chase success typically really find it. I mean, like if, if success, if you're, you know, if you're trying to chase what's on the radio and you're trying to just mimic that, um, for most people, I don't think that typically works out. I think the people, at least that I've admired that, that really, um, end up finding their path is because they do the thing in their heart that they really love and they, they try to, to go for that. Um, but at the same time, you have to have, um, you, you can't, I, I think at least you can't be so stubborn about what you're doing that you can't ever, um, you know, take the advice from other people around you and at least hear what they're saying and do with, and, and then you do with that as you see fit as an artist, you either choose to listen to, you know, um, those around you and you go, okay, well maybe they have a point. Let me think about, let me zoom out of my own self and my own ego a little bit here and hear what they're saying. And what can I do with that? Is that something that if I were to apply that, that I would feel like I'm still doing something true and honest to myself. And in this case, with this particular um, 
project, I felt like there was room to still go back to the drawing board. And there was something in that that at least excited me, though it was frustrating um, and disappointing. You know, in the moment, once I got beyond my initial disappointment with it all, you know, the the fuel was, um, the, the flame was, you know, fueled a little bit for me just to creatively go, okay. I've got plenty to offer here and I'm not mm. going to let, you know, this, this one little thing of like, you know, maybe this seems too dense or too, um, I don't know, too much for the, you know, the average listener to, to get, well, I love a lot of simple music. I love a lot of straightforward things. And so, you know, actually in hindsight, being able to go and incorporate, I feel like this album now has a bigger part of me in a more honest way than it even did to begin with. So Mm. sometimes taking the advice of those around you actually can lead you more to your own true self. If you take that and, and analyze it in an honest way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you've, you've landed there versus, you know, in a, in a cheated position or, or, or remaining in that initial frustration. Um, Sierra, I wanted to ask about the resistance from a different angle with you because you're such you're in a, such a rare position. And um, uh, I mean, please tell me if you like. I don't know if you get so tired of people bringing up, you know, how young you were when you got started in all this, and <laughs> no, and, and and that familiar story. But you know, for those who who don't know, um, you had your first record release at what age? Twelve? Is that right? Um, well, so I, I put out, I put out, um, a little solo project before I signed with Rounder Records. I put out, um, <laughs> a little instrumental project when I was about 10, I had been playing a couple years. And so it was just like this little self-release thing. So I don't usually count that, but I did, I did a little project, you know, all instrumentals, like traditional fiddle tunes, bluegrass fiddle tunes, and then, um, but played on the mandolin, of course. And then, um, and then I signed with Rounder when I was probably about 13 and it okay. um, my first record came out when I was 15 or 16 I think so on Rounder um, Yeah it took me a few years to actually get started on it you know I knew I was going to make a record eventually um and so I think it came I think I was 16 when it came out so Okay Your first time at the Opry was I was 10 years old. I got to play with this guy <laughs> named Mike Snyder, um, who's been a long time <laughs> opera member. Uh, he brought my brother and I on um, on a Saturday night, and it was just, we got to open for him uh, kind of locally in Crossville, Tennessee, about an hour from where I grew up uh, at a show that he did, and my brother and I opened opened for him, and he told the audience, the next time you see these kids, they'll be with me on the Grand Ole Opry. And so we were wow. like, oh, wow. And so, <laughs> so he took us out um, and, uh, and gave us our official debut, which was really special. Wow. And how many times have you played the Opry since then? You know, I was trying to find this. I just played a couple weeks ago and, and I was thinking, man, I've lost count and I really want to know. So I, <laughs> I have somebody at the Opry trying to figure that out for me currently. Cause <laughs> I mean, it's not been an insane amount of times, but I've played probably a few times every year since, since then. Yeah. Enough to, to have a lost count. Enough to have lost count somehow. Yeah. Which yeah. is shameful. You shouldn't lose count of how many times you've played that place. I mean, it's uh... a, <laughs> I, I, I love it. I, I bring this up because, 
You know, I think for so many people, resistance is about facing something you haven't done before and then having a fear of doing that thing, whatever it is, and then trying to summon the courage to do it. Yeah. But for you, I wonder what resistance looks like for you in some ways that are different from others because your journey has been so different, that success has come early on, that you were playing a stage like the Ryman so early and then now you've lost count. Does resistance look the same for you and we just wouldn't believe it if you tried to tell us? <laughs> yeah, having some of those early successes and people surrounding you telling you this is what you're going to do and then you do it and and accomplishing what you have. I, I guess I just wonder how how you think that sort of youthful path has affected your larger scale relationship with resistance or maybe what other kinds of resistance are present for you because of that? Well, I think it's interesting because I started so young that, you know, when you're like, I'm sh I know I was so excited to get to play the Opry, you know, at 10 years old and, and to do some of the things I got to do early on. But I think as a little kid, I mean, I knew from the time I was eight years old and picked up the mandolin and started playing that I wanted to do this, um, you know, for a living as my life. I, I knew that was what I wanted to do. Um, and I really never doubted that I could do it. And it wasn't about mm. it wasn't about thinking I was good. It didn't really have anything to do with that. <laughs> it's like, I just knew I loved it. I loved yeah. it. And in my mind, why not? You know, you're a little kid. Why not? Of course I'm going to do that. And I was lucky <laughs> to, you know, be encouraged by a lot of wonderful people along the way. And so I think you don't have the same kind of resistance when you're young like that, especially if you're, if you're nurtured and, and encouraged by those around you. And, um, you know, I always had wonderful parents that, uh, encouraged me, but, but also didn't over encourage me. Definitely kept my feet on the ground, you know, definitely, um, reminded me that if I wanted it, I needed to work hard. And that, you know, I remember my dad telling me when I was, um, probably 11 or so, and I was you know, maybe even younger than that. Um, Alison Krauss was my, you know, one of my big heroes. And I remember I was getting a little lazy and wasn't practicing as much. And my dad said, now you I've noticed you've not been practicing as much lately. And, <laughs> you know, you, you really need to, to get to work because if you know, if you want to do this, like you say you do. And one of these days, Alison Krauss is going to call you and she's going to invite you to come play with her and you're not going to be ready. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, so just like real encouragement, but also at the same time, like in a way that, you know, I had somebody like that saying, Hey, this is possible. This is actually going to happen, but it won't happen if you don't put the work in. You know, so, um, which was a good lesson to learn early on. So I think, you know, it's changed for me as I've gotten older, um, that advice still remains true when I think about, you know, things that I'm doing or working on, trying to accomplish now at this point in my career, um, the reminder of that, that hard work, you know, still matters and you still have to, you know, show up every day. Um, if you, you really want to see these things happen, but, um, I think it is different as you get older because there's more self-doubt that creeps in. There's more, you know, um, I don't know, more things at play as an adult that you just don't think about as much as a little kid. So mm. I guess that's where it has changed the most. 
Sure. You know, you're working within, you know, this genre and, you know, roots music and in particular, just having such deep, um, you know, traditions and whatnot. It, that makes me wonder about what does resistance look like when trying to work within maybe a genre that has these predefined ideas of what true bluegrass really is and, and, um, you know, how, how things should, should go, should be played, how to, how to honor and pay tribute to what's gone before. And yet, you know, obviously do what is uniquely suited to you as an artist and what you're, what you want to do. Do you find resistance there just because of the genre itself? Well, I think I've been kind of lucky to, in some ways, break out of that um, and break out of any worry of that at this point. Um, but I grew up, you know, a total bluegrass kid. I, I was going to bluegrass jams every weekend. And, you know, it's such a beautiful community to grow up in. There's all these mm. um, traditional songs that everybody knows and loves. And you can show up on a jam session with, you know, four or five other people and you may have never met before, but you can sit in a circle and you can play the same tunes. You can sing the same songs. It's like, everybody's kind of learning a lot of the same stuff. And that music is really handed down, um, from generation to generation in that way. And I, I love that about it. And so I think that's why so many people really hold it in this kind of sacred way. And mm -hmm. they get nervous if somebody's trying to do other things because I think they sometimes think that the music is going to die. Um, but if you think about Bill Monroe, who's the known as the father of bluegrass music, the guy who kind of, you know, he was a mandolin player that started this style of music that we sort of think of. And of course now the word bluegrass means something different to everybody because there's so <laughs> many different sectors of bluegrass, you know, from the real traditional to the super modern. I mean, um, that word kind of means a lot of different things at this point, but, but if you really trace it back to, to Bill Monroe and, and the people who, you know, really seem to, you know, hold on to that style of things you know, to really honor Bill Monroe, you also have to be able to honor honor the man himself. And the man himself was one of the truest innovators ever. I mean, he created this completely new genre of music. <laughs> and so I kind of think sometimes it's, uh, you know, you can love and appreciate his music, but how about the spirit in which he created that music? You know, that came from a a place of of, you know, bravery and, and, um, forward thinking as, as a musician. So, um, yeah, I think that was one of the things that frustrated me with turning my album in the first time, because I felt like there's, you know, some of the things on my new record, the instrumentation maybe isn't the most conventional instrumentation on some of the, the songs. Um, and, and so therefore maybe in some ways it doesn't fit into any particular genre. And I think that that scares people sometimes because they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> mm. um, but I'm also finding that more and more my my generation and a younger generation, like genre matters less and less. Yeah. You know, it's because really there's there's very thin walls between a lot of these different styles of music that we all love and listen to. And I, I personally love all kinds of music. And though I grew up in bluegrass, I certainly know that that's not the only musical influence that finds its way into my music if I'm really being true and honest to what's inside me. 
you know? So, Mm. so I try to not worry about it too much. And thankfully I feel like I've still been really embraced and um, welcomed by the bluegrass community at large, even as I've sort of um, moved further and further away from the traditional sounds as far as my own solo albums and, and personal shows go. listening to the resistance if you've enjoyed this episode please rate us on itunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for more information and further episodes you can find us at listen to the resistance.com engineering production and additional music by jake kirkpatrick my name is matt connor and i'm your host thanks for listening